Matic. Becky, great ball in. Ellen White for Manchester City. episode of MCW Fancast. My name's Emma, thanks for listening. This week we look back on our FA Cup winning performance against Everton, a thrilling final and one to remember as Man City lifted the FA Cup in back-to-back successes. We're joined this week by special guest editor Dan Pentland from the FAWSL full-time magazine as we recap on our win on the Hallowed Turf and our midweek game away to Liverpool at Prenton Park in the County Cup. But first here from a very happy head coach, Gareth Taylor speaking about his first piece of silverware with Man City Women and the team's performance at Wembley Stadium. to be honest I think it was a tough situation to be in I felt we played some really good stuff within the game we controlled most of the game Uh, had to deal with like the sucker punch of conceding in the second period Uh, to be fair I thought scoring the goal just before half time I was contemplating coming in at half time nil nil didn't seem like we were going to make the most of our our dominance and our chances but to come in a goal ahead was you know from Sam Mewis was great and then literally within 10 minutes in the second period we had to find some resolve because that's tough when you I've been there and when you concede like that in a game when you're fairly dominant in a game where the opposition don't look especially dangerous I mean they did have a couple of near chances after that but yeah just I think the will imposed by the the players as a collective and that's the players who were on the pitch the substitutes who came onto the game was was uh, top class it means everything you know I'm like you say I'm fresh to this I was just talking before saying that I've not even hit double figures yet for for games under my belt which is uh but I, you know I think it's amazing you know I've been blown away by the the support I've been blown away by the girls and the the level of attitude and application and this just reinforces the message you know um we want to achieve big things we want to make history challenge the players to to probably do what no other club is likely to ever do again and win the FA Cup twice in one season um but yeah, everyone, everyone, it'd be tough. It'd be tough. I know it will be because you know everyone wants to win, and uh, I just mixture of emotions at the minute. I don't think it's quite sunk in because of the the game and how it evolved. But I'm um, really, really proud at this moment. We need to obviously improve our final actions. And again, you probably saw elements of that today in a performance where we were fairly dominant. We just needed to find that that what we did in, in extra time. So today, like you say, is all about winning and. Um, this is new for a lot of the players, new for me. Um, it takes some time to bed in. And like you say, hopefully this, is the, this gives us a platform now to really, to really push on. And, and it just confirms the, the processes and everything else that we stick to. I thought, uh, Jess, to show that maturity for someone who's so young in that performance and how she got Everton on the back foot. Um, and she, she did that in, in the other cup competition earlier uh, in the month. So she's a player that's growing and improving and she'll really improve playing ahead of Lucy Bronze, next to Sam Mewis and at times Ellen White. 
you know, playing as playing off her as the number nine. So I think what we're trying to do is we're obviously trying to improve. We try to improve the squad as much as we can, and sometimes that takes a little bit of time. But I think it's really building on the foundations that we have already. Um, you know, we've we've been successful previously. We want to try and kick on and and win more things, uh, and that's not easy because everyone else is trying to do the same. I, I've really seen the level of uh, quality of teams in the WSL really improve this season. I, I just wanted us to carry on playing our game. Um, when we put the ball at risk, we gave Everton a half sniff of, uh, of a chance of progressing. Once we stuck to the, the principles of keeping the ball, we knew we'd arrive in the final third. And uh, yeah, it probably took us a little bit longer than I thought, but I was pretty confident going into the, the extra time. I think if Everton would have scored late on, towards the end of the game and the normal 90 minutes. I think that's a different, but I think it gave us time. We still continue playing our way. Uh, and like I say, we kept knocking on the door and eventually it opened. We're all supporting the academy and in, in what they're looking to achieve tomorrow night. And my old assistant, Carlos, has stepped up now and he's done great. Um, made, a, made a real positive performance the other night and uh, they've got a good game against Chelsea tomorrow night. So we'll be, we'll be right behind them. And that's the thing I love about City is that you know, regardless of whether it's the women's, the men's, or the academy, you know, you really do feel that there's a there's a real sense of wanting everyone to be successful and achieve things. And I think the fact, like you say, that we're in finals is is showing you that we're doing we're doing some good things. Alex is is played as a left-sided centre back for Leon previously. Um, she played that position more last season than she did at left back. Um, I thought Demi Stokes was was obviously excellent for us today. I thought she really grew into the game and stuck at it. But I thought Alex was great as well. And Gemma's done brilliant this season. And like you say, I think it was just, it was a toss of a coin in terms of how we wanted to build against Everton. And sometimes having that left foot there, it gives you that, that balance. Um, but again, you know, it's new to Alex, new club for her, bedding in with players. She'll know a lot of the England girls a lot, um, which helps. But um, yeah, you know, I thought at times today she did really well. We'll always compete. You know, City have a reputation. We, we fight till the end. And, uh, you know, we'll, we'll fight in all of these competitions and we'll draw on the resources of the squad we have. But we understand that everybody else wants to be successful as well. Um, but this just feels like it gives us an opportunity to create a platform to build from, you know, to get a trophy under your belt. Second month of the season is, is great. And uh, the players deserve all of the credit. They really do. They've been top class, um, every single one of them. And, the staff have been superb with me. I had many relationships with them previously before I came into the job, and that made it a little bit easier. But like I say, I'm, I'm new to this. I'm going to make mistakes. I'll try and do everything that I can for this team and this club. It's great to welcome you, Dan, back to the podcast for a special FA Cup review. Dan, always a pleasure. Thank you so much for joining me. I hope you're keeping well. Yeah, hi, Emma. Hope you're well and thanks for having us. Yeah, it's been a fantastic week for the club with trophy success at Wembley. Midweek was all away to Liverpool in the Conti Cup. City will be feeling pretty good heading into the Saturday's WSL meeting with Bristol City, having now picked up some momentum after the international break. Let's start at Wembley. Uh, you were lucky enough to be there. A little bit jealous, got to be honest. Uh, I bet it was a bit of an odd occasion to cover, though. Yeah, it was. It's, um, again, I mean, I've been to Wembley a few months ago and then going back again, things had changed, entering in different areas and... Obviously, you were straight to your seat. There wasn't the usual kind of uh, luxurious welcome, I suppose. And then, you know, obviously, on the pitch, it wasn't quite the same without fans. Um, 
the game itself obviously deserved fans and lots of them to be there, I would have thought. So, um, yeah, it was a weird one. It was a great occasion. Um, probably the best and closest contested final we've had for quite a while, probably since Everton were last in it, I'm guessing. But, um, yeah, it was a shame, but at least it was a great spectacle for everybody watching at home. Yeah, definitely. I think it's... I think it was like 2014, was it something like that for their last final, last competitive final they had at Wembley? Yeah, I think. Well, the, not Wembley, was did, it? It was. Did they appear in two, well, I think did they appear in two of of three? I think yeah, in, under the under the former identity, I think they won the cup back in about the late eighties, and then 2010, obviously they won it as Everton, and then I think 14 was their other final where I think they were defeated by Arsenal. I think it's fair to say uh, credit to our, uh, credit to Arsenal, credit to Everton. Uh, most probably favourites heading into this game. Really, I mean, there was such they've had such a positive start to the season. Uh, been a real force to to be reckoned with. I don't think I saw one poll where City were actually favourites in this game. So it even made me start to feel a little bit nervous, to be honest. It's funny enough as we ran one about well a couple of hours before. And I think, obviously, because we have a lot of City followers, um, you know, we had quite a lot of confidence from the uh, the City corner. But yeah. uh, I must admit, I thought Everton had a real chance. And I suppose in the end, they did. They were very close. But, um, you know, I think, I, I honestly think that next time they go to Wembley, it's probably going to be a different case. You know, I wouldn't like to be the next side to play them at Wembley after the experience which they've had at the weekend. I think heading into the game, it, it was never going to be easy for City. Uh, I think a, a lot of people had looked at our form heading into the game and questioned whether we could really get the result given recent performances. Um, I mean, what did you make of our performance on the day? And did you think it was enough to answer maybe some of the criticisms that we'd been receiving in recent weeks? Yeah, I don't think there was any fault in the performance. I thought it was good. I thought there was players who stood out. Sam Lewis was excellent for me. Chloe Kelly's always a threat. Um I thought City always looked the stronger or the more likely to score, I think. I think when they were on the attack, obviously, they, they missed a few good chances, but they always looked the more deadly, the, the two sides, I think. I suppose as well, it, it feels like Wembley, as, as some City fans say, it almost feels like, you know... Home. <laughs> I suppose they, a bit like the Etihad, a bit like the Academy, the Academy Stadium. Um, some clubs just seem to have a bit of a tradition with going to Wembley and getting success and... You know, whether that adds a little bit more confidence to it as well or not, I don't know. But yeah, you, you always felt like, you know, Everton had the chances, but if, if, if they didn't take them or if they had a little bit of bad luck in the game, which obviously they had with Govan getting injured, mm. um, and obviously that might have had a little bit of an impact on her because she had to come off after 90 minutes. So, um, you know, it, it, was, it, it was just a great final. And I thought, yeah, I thought City played the part. And I think they had developing under Taylor without a doubt. Yeah, I think you just mentioned Govan there. I think incredible for her because, I mean, 45 minutes, you know, we're heading into half time and she looked as though she might have been a doubt for the second half. And yet she really powered on and soldiered on. And, and, and like you said, she gave 90 minutes and she gave everything out there on the pitch. Yeah, she's somebody who I really enjoy watching this year, actually, I think. She's, she's a proper number nine for me, like an Ellen White. Um, you know, if you put the, the ball in the box like Everton do, she's going to score a lot of goals. And I think what was even more amazing out of it is that she'd played so many minutes for France, pretty much both of their games in the qualifiers. Um, and then obviously she's returned, gone straight down to Wembley. And 
you know, she got a goal and, you know, if she hadn't have maybe got that little blow at half time, who knows, she might have played the 120 and, you know, we might have been talking about a, a different game because she's definitely, she makes such a difference to Everton. I know Everton lost Kelly, but they've got something different with her and, you know, they've got good wide players to complement her. And I think, um, yeah, she's, she's key to what they do and, you know, she's going to get a lot of goals, I think. Yeah, I mean, it was a, a good replacement, really, for, for Chloe Kelly. I mean, Everton don't really look as though they miss her. Even though they didn't get the result, you you felt as though there was so much to work with and, and it's just sort of added so much confidence to their game for the rest of the season. Yeah, I think, you know what, when I look back at the 120 minutes, I think City, you know, they're probably two different sides who've looked at, who've experienced two different weeks leading up to the final, I think. You know, Man City's week, we've been here before in terms of the way the preparation is, you know, that euphoria about the build-up to the big game and, you know, in the game itself, that big game management, preserving your energy for the key points in the game. Um, You know, City just had that little bit of know-how, I think. And, you know, Everton did look a little bit tired in extra time. The last Certainly the last 15 minutes of City made the breakthrough and, you know, I, I just think that week leading up to the final, mentally and physically, probably played so much on 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 the team. I suppose, um, you know, because a lot of them won't have been through that, and certainly as a group, they haven't been through that before. Mm-hmm. And obviously, they put everything in that game through the ninety minutes and then into extra time. And you know, I, I don't think it, it it was that they were any less fit than City. I think it was just you know that that whole week probably just hit them at that point. And um, you know, obviously, City have got the quality to to capitalise and I think you know as I say I think Everton have been there and done it now in terms of you know that big game the build up everything about a cup final um, and you know I just think next time they're in a final you wouldn't want to be the side that play them because I think they'll be an even greater threat and obviously you know more time with the squad gelling and you know they're putting a lot of investment in there so you know you, you feel like this is the start for them um, which is good you don't want to see you know, the best respects to Chelsea, Arsenal, City, you don't just want to see three clubs running away with it. And even from a City point of view, you don't really want them playing West Ham, for example. And in the end, winning easy, it's nice to see a proper game and come out of it at the back end thinking, you know, that you really, it was a great battle and you've come out really having won, you know, won a game. It just makes it feel like a little bit better, I suppose. Um, it was a game where there was some real standout individual performances from both teams. Um, I went on Twitter today and, and nearly a week on, people are still talking about Sandy McIver. <laughs> I mean, it's unbelievable. I mean, she had the game of her life, didn't she? Yeah, I, th- I think for me, there was probably about five players who stood out. You had your two goalkeepers, um, and obviously yeah. that's excellent from an English point of view. You've got Hannah Hampton coming through as well. You've got Fran Stenson. I think she played last night for Arsenal, the first game for Arsenal. And, you know, she's going to be very good. You've obviously got the goalkeepers who are already in and around the England squad with Ellie and Sandy already. So, you know, I think that was, it was excellent for for a cup final to be remembered for goalkeepers. It's something quite rare. And obviously in the women's game, even more rare, really. Um, Particularly enjoyed that bronze and Rasso battle in the first half, which, I think the bookings probably took the sting out of that a little bit in the second half, but um, you know, and, and then um, Lucy was very lucky, <laughs> very lucky. And Sam Mewis as well, I think, and I know I spoke with Gareth after the game. You know, Sam Mewis has brought so much to City, and you know, she's very much the glue in that midfield. I think, and you know, he, he saw that the day that he signed her, and you know, it's 
she's she just seems to be getting better every game for me. And you know, I, I know that Gareth's really particularly pleased with the impact that she's making in the side. And um, you mentioned Ellie Roebuck as well. Like she did have an incredible game. And there's no denying that that they are two players that are, are really shaping up to be huge assets for their club this season, uh, respectively. And uh, you feel will only continue to cement themselves on an international level as well. Yeah, I think, again, when we go into the next tournament, obviously it's at home as well. Hopefully when it eventually gets played, whether it be 2022 or whenever, then, um, you know, we, we've got a great, a great goalkeeping selection to choose from and you know there's only hopefully there's going to only be even more goalkeepers coming through I mean even looking back a couple of years you're probably thinking is anyone going to get close to uh, Karen Bardsley um, and then you know even within the last 12 months you're thinking oh we've got six or seven good goalkeepers in the FAWSL and now you're thinking you know we haven't just got good goalkeepers we've got absolutely world-class goalkeepers yeah. so that's really really pleasing from a, a national team point of view as well. Yeah, I mean, like you said, despite no fans, a great spectacle for those watching at home. Goals from Samantha Mewis with the opener from a free header from a, a Greenwood corner before half time. And Everton found their equaliser through a, another Izzy Christensen corner through Valerie Govan. Unbelievably, in a game full of chances and missed opportunities for both teams, extra time was required. I mean, it was end to end stuff, really. It was, it, you didn't know where the goal was going to come from. It just felt like it had another goal in it, but it obviously it took uh, the extra time. Yeah, and I think first half it felt, a little, you know, it took a little time to get going. There was a couple of efforts which, you know, if the players had them again, they'd probably try something different. Um, you know, it didn't quite click first half until the goal came along. And then second half, you know, the longer it went on, the more both teams tried to win the game. There was no kind of shutting up shop. Um, and even when it got to extra time, you thought, well, the game's almost too too open. Surely both sides are going to, certainly from an Everton perspective, are they going to try and stifle it a little bit and take it to penalties and anybody can win from there. But, um, you know, it just continued and continued to flow. 100 mile an hour, end to end, um, you know, chances for both sides. Both sides could have took it, could have won the trophy in the end. As I said, it just comes down to that last 15 minutes and, for me, the only thing I can kind of put my finger on is just, you know, that City, in terms of managing their energy and the mentality in the game, you know, looking back from experience in previous finals as well and, you know, everything which comes with a final, you know, that might have just been the difference between the two sides. Because as I said, I thought Everton were just, they're given everything, they're probably given everything with everything which comes with the final throughout throughout the week. And, you know, they, they just ran out in the end. Yeah. But they were very close. It was very close. Um, it was obviously the late extra time goals from Georgia Stanway and Janine Becky who gave City that that extra level, uh, I think, to overcome Everton in the end. And it was a, a bit of a story of the super subs, really, through what I thought was a difference between like Stanway and Park in particular when they were introduced into the game. I thought they had a really good impact on the game. Yeah, and I suppose, I know Taylor hasn't had too much... Um credit given in the last few weeks, obviously with the, you know, taking time to get into the momentum of his reign and the swing of the season, but he's got to take a little bit of credit for that, I suppose, in making the right, putting the right players on. I suppose he put people, players on with kind of sky blue in, in the blood, I suppose. And, um, you know, they, they know everything about the club, the the young, they're, um, you know, they've got big futures ahead of them and, you know, they just they just clicked and linked together and got that that breakthrough, really. But um, 
you know, it, it just shows the depth of of City's squad. And again, maybe that's a little bit where Everton fell short. They're investing in players, but, you know, add another two or three in the mix. And again, they've probably got a few more to select from. I was going to ask you, Dan, as well, like, how does it feel like from a, like a journalist point of view when you're covering a game like that and you're thinking this is going to go to penalties? <laughs> it's kind of like the worst fear for anyone covering football. It's, it's a nightmare. I, I like think, well, it, there's two sides to it. I, I like it to be done and dusted and then obviously report goes out bang on the 90. But obviously when you've got a game like this, um, you know, they're lifting the, tro- the trophy and I'm still typing. So, um, you know, it's, yeah, it's it's great to see in terms of entertainment and be you know having, you know from a coverage point of view it, it it's fantastic. But yeah, from a journalist point of view, a late goal or extra time or you know anything unpredictable is never a good thing. Um, no, I mean yeah, for the audience wise, it was absolutely superb and probably the best final we're going to have for a while. I would have thought. Yeah, definitely one to remember for years to come, I'm sure. Manchester City retained the FA Women's uh, FA Cup, sorry, for the 1920 season, winning the competition for the third time. And our first piece of silverware under head coach Gareth Taylor. Not bad going for a new manager coming into a new club environment. He's only been with us since May and only played nine games. Um, you can't be anything but happy with that, can you? No, but I think it's a big one for him as well because it lifts a little bit of pressure. I think, obviously, you, you lose the community shield to a, a decent Chelsea side who, you know, signed a few players, but probably a little bit more settled than City on the on the first game. Obviously, there's that defeat to Chelsea in the Super League as well, which raised a little bit, a quest, few questions about the, the title race and, you know, whether City are almost a little bit too far behind already. Um, so to win, you know, to win a trophy just lifts the mood. It, it, it gives people new purpose, I suppose, in the camp. And, um, you know, I suppose we're not far now from things like Champions League draws, FA Cup draws, hopefully, as we get the next couple of months out the way. And, you know, obviously the con- the continuation of the, the Continental Cup as well. So, um, you know, it just keeps everybody focused, I think, and in looking in the right direction, which, you know, I, th- I think... Gareth kind of tongue in cheek at the weekend. He, he wants his five trophies. Whether he'll get his five trophies is another thing. But um, you know, it, it's one. It's one down at the end of the day. And yeah, it's it's a feel good factor, particularly I suppose with everything which is going on with COVID nineteen as well. I've also got to acknowledge the part that Nick Cushion has played because obviously involved with the squad last season and obviously prepared the team for you know a couple of the fixtures in this cup run. You know, it's it's important to acknowledge the the part that Nick played in that as well. Yeah, he's probably a little bit of a different coach to Gareth in some respects. I think I think Gareth's kind of caught up in the the whole euphoria of it a little, a little bit. I think I think he's, he's he's loving every minute of it at the minute, and you know he's um, he's finding it a test, and you know he's bedding, he's very much in the bending period, whereas obviously. Nick, by the time he left, knew the club inside out, knew obviously he built his squad, and you know it's it's a different scenario. But obviously, yeah, the foundations which Nick's put down, and obviously when Alan stepped in as well for was he in charge for the the ten niller? I think yeah. he might have been, yeah. Um, so yeah, all three of them have played a part. Um, so yeah, collective effort, and you know at the end of the day, the job's got done. So yeah, really good for the club. Yeah, um, midweek. 
saw City face Liverpool away from home at Prenton Park in the Conley Cup. A second group stage game with only Manchester United left to play. Can't wait. <laughs> uh, full-time resort of 3-0 with goals from Coombsie, Lavelle and Park. We're in a very good position looking ahead to our trip to the LSV in a couple of weeks. There was an article actually on the FAWSL full-time website, three things that we've learned from Wednesday's matches in the Conti Cup. And one of them uh, points was about Laura Coombs. Firstly, that goal, <laughs> uh, what a finesse, what execution. It was It was pretty special. Yeah, I mean, yeah. For a, for a player who hasn't been overly involved, who's been frustrated, when your opportunity comes your way, you've got to take it. In a team like City where you have been on the fringes, you've been sat on the bench warming it most of the season so far, if the chance comes your way, if, if you don't take it, then you know, you're probably looking at a long, hard winter, I suppose, battling to try and get every kind of minute on the pitch that you possibly can. But I think for Laura and you know, some of the other players who played as well, I think it's great for her to I mean the goal was absolutely fantastic, but you know, to to kind of put her claim forward to to tailor for future games as well, you know, with obviously balancing cup competitions and league in the future, then you know, it can only be a good thing. Um you know, you, you obviously, if you're looking at five competitions, you're going to need a deep squad anyway. So, yeah, she was a bit of a, a bit of a forgotten hero, I suppose. Um, but it's it's probably definitely it, it feels like it's put her forward now for you know for the for the months to come, hopefully. Um, but yeah, you, you can't rule out that result. It was a really good result. I know, obviously, first round of the cup, but um, you know, make no doubt about it. Liverpool did very well against Manchester United in. In the first game, a strong United side as well. Obviously, when you've been to Wembley at the weekend and everybody's kind of still reveling in it and, you know, just, just coming back down to earth a little bit. And, you know, it, it's easy and we see it all the time where clubs maybe underachieve a little bit in the next game. So to have that focus and to go to a place like Liverpool and win 3-0 is, you know, pretty impressive. And obviously it's set City and put them in an excellent position really to get into the last eight. Her performance was a, a real showcase of what she can do and it would be great to see her more utilised in that squad, like you say. Uh, maybe Saturday's game against Bristol would be the perfect opportunity. Uh, again, we're expected to see some more rotation as we welcome Bristol to the Academy Stadium for the first time in what seems like ages, even though I think it's only probably been about a month. <laughs> something like that um, yeah. Bristol though still looking to pick up the first points of the season in the WSL um, I believe they're winning currently at Crystal Palace could well be another difficult fixture for them off the play now four league games and I think they've had some pretty heavy defeats there particularly at home as well I mean even if you you, you scratch out the Chelsea mauling at Kings Meadow you know eight, ga- eight goals conceded at home um, non-scored um, it, it's not looking great, you know. There's all of the sides around them are pretty much picking up points, and you know they, they desperately need a result. Um, on the other side of it, obviously they're in a similar position when they went to Manchester, sorry, Manchester United in January, um, and obviously they got a one 0 win there, you know, against all odds really. So there is a chance that they could get a result, but I think it's a great opportunity, particularly after Wembley and thinking about another three or four games ahead, plus the international break coming up, that the squad is rotated because it is one of those fixtures, I think, where if your squad's deep enough and got enough quality, you're likely to be able to get through it, you know, by rotating a fair bit. Obviously, two Manchester derbies coming up as well. And, 
you know, I suppose squad prioritisation, really, you are probably going to have to give a few players a rest. Do you, do you think Bristol have got what it takes to, to sort of turn this season on its head and, and just start getting the results? Yeah, it's, 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 it's a tough one. I'm, I'm more looking at what the other teams are capable of rather than what Bristol are capable of. Right. It concerns me as far as their relegation fight's concerned that um, there's other teams capable of picking up points. Um, I think their obviously their game against Villa was postponed a couple of weeks ago, and I think that would have been absolutely huge for both clubs. Yeah. It probably gives Villa a little bit, a little bit more time now to bed in. Um, although I think it's going to be played in December, so I, recruitment-wise, I wouldn't expect any changes really to the two sides. But um, yeah, it, it wasn't an ideal postponement, I don't think, from a Bristol City perspective. They'll have wanted that game played and get some points on the board. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm concerned really about the sides around them picking up points. I think other than Villa, everybody, everybody looks like they've got stronger resources than Bristol City. Villa have arguably got some really good players as well, but it's just not really working for them yet. They're still bedding into the league and you know they're going to have to bed in quickly, I suppose, if they're going to start climbing the table. But at the minute, it looks like those two clubs are going to be down there. What do you feel is like going wrong for them at Bristol? I think possibly recruitment. I think they've got some, they have got one or two good players, but I think as we know now, it's a really, really big league. It's a multinational league. It's a league full of really good full-time professional players. Um, I think Tanya Roxaby is probably trying to manage a budget as best as she possibly can. I think location as well might come into it. I think it, I can imagine, you know, they're, they're the most southwest club in the league they're quite adrift from any other side really you know I, I suppose that living costs are probably quite quite um large over that part of the country as well and you know I, I just don't think they've probably got the quality of player to to look at anything really above second or third bottom at absolute best you know I think they're doing the best I think they're investing in young players um I think they signed Gemma Perfield from Liverpool who didn't have a lot of top flight experience before this season but she seems to be doing quite well but you know I suppose if that's the limit or if that's the level of your signings and you, you can't bring in internationals or you know players from higher up the league then it's probably looking one way the only thing you would say is obviously in the cup they seem to be doing very well so it seems to be that they're performing above a championship level but they're just not quite finding the feet at super league level yeah. um but it, it does you know, can you see them getting double figures in terms of points this season? I'm not, I'm not sure you can. And if they don't have double figures, is that going to be enough to keep them in the league? It probably depends. Again, it probably depends on those big games with Villa and obviously how well Villa evolved in the league, I think. But, you know, we, we put the likes of Birmingham in the bracket with them, possibly Brighton at the start of the season. But, you know, both of those clubs are doing really well and you, you just can't see Bristol catching them. We've asked listeners to send their questions in. I know you love this. <laughs> <laughs> uh, thank you to everyone that got involved. Jude has sent the first one in. What are your thoughts on where Gareth should be playing Rose Lavelle to try and get the best out of her? Yeah, um, um, I'm no expert with this one. I must admit, I saw the question beforehand. Um, <laughs> I'm glad you saw it. <laughs> she's a midfielder. Um, so I suppose, you know, if that's a specialist position, that's where I would say she should play. Um, I would she, agree, by the way. She can play in attack. Um, it depends on 
maybe a little bit on attacking options. Obviously, Chloe Kelly adds something. Um, I suppose Ellen White hasn't been in the greatest of form of late, but uh, yeah, I suppose if she's a, if she's a midfielder and that's where a specialist area is, then player in midfield. But obviously, again, she's got competition in that area, I suppose. But yeah, I think I, th- I think as well the nature of squads these days. I think players are adaptable. Yeah, I was going to say, like, the versatility, it adds a bit of versatility to her game as well. Might uh, bode well, you know, when she returns to the NWSL as well for the future, could add a little bit more depth to her game. Yeah, definitely. And I think, um, you know, we've seen it with City. I mean, we've seen it with Becky, for example, where, you know, and and Stanway as well, where they've been played in other positions. And, you know, they've they've just shown a little bit of quality in, you know, more than one position. And, you know, I suppose from a a managerial point of view or a coaching point of view, um, it's a bit of an added bonus because, you know, if you've got an injury and, you know, you've got two fullbacks out or whatever, then, you know, you've got an option there, which you didn't think you had. So, yeah, I think, you know, a player of her quality, I can imagine that she, she will be useful in various positions. Primarily, I'd use her in a specialist area, but you know, there's there's always that option. Dave has asked, "What do you think we could do to improve the Conti Cup? Um, would a straight knockout tournament suit better, or is a group system the best way as it guarantees games?" Yeah, I think we spoke about this one not so long ago. It might have been in a um, the OSC meeting actually, um, but yeah, I suppose this this year is not really the year to look for a revamp given everything which is going on but it feels like you know possibly the branding of the competition could possibly get bigger and better um you know there's obviously the, the tv aspect um the, the media coverage aspect of it um and then there's a competition format itself does a group work it obviously gives players i mean and i was speaking to hope powell earlier this week and she was quite happy about the amount of youth uh, young players which she could field in it um in the early rounds um, so you know the, the group does have its benefits in that sense. Um, obviously, the group stage isn't particularly lucrative, and it doesn't offer an awful lot of bonus other than getting to the quarterfinal. Would a knockout be better? You could potentially have a first round of championship clubs, maybe where they've got you know maybe the, there's a, some kind of seeded system where there's a bonus if they win their game, they're going to definitely draw a Super League side in the next round and maybe do a knockout like that. Or you could just do a standard knockout. Um, but yeah, it, it feels, it, it's felt like it's been on borrowed time for quite a while. I'd certainly be kind of waving the flag for a, a bit of a revamp, I think. Yeah. Um, but maybe it's not just the format. Maybe we need to think about more things. We need to think about the publication of it. Um, you know, the advertising of it, you know, the, the whole Conti Cup as a product, I suppose. You know, and ultimately, is it a midweek competition? You know, if you, if you if you struggle, I mean, obviously we've got no crowds at the minute anyway. But you know, is is it great playing it midweek, particularly cold, dark, wet winter midweeks like we've seen at the back end of the group stage? What kind of opportunity for growth does that really allow the competition? Not an awful lot, I'd imagine. So I think there's there's lots to think about. Um, but yeah, I think I think certainly in the last next couple of years, I would probably say we, it'd be good to be able to see a conversation taking place on what could be done to improve the competition. I think and make it a little bit more lucrative, other than the semi-finals and the final. Yeah, where it draws the crowd. I mean, I'm not I'm not 100 sure, but I, I I believe the sponsorship deal with Con- Continental is coming to an end. Is it next next season? I think. I'm not right. Okay. 
So it would be interesting to see if that, obviously they've been a partner of, of the, the tournament for quite some time, whether that will change and, and they will go for a complete overhaul on the tournament. I think a lot of people would think it, it would benefit from that. And I, I can't disagree, to be honest. There needs to be better coverage. Uh, I think it, you know, it doesn't, it's an opportunity for you know like the small like the smaller clubs the championship clubs to have a bit of a platform to be seen and I think we should you know utilize it and and give them their time to shine yeah I mean the, the other I suppose the other way you could do it is you could do group stage for championship and then they join the 12 super you know the top four or whatever join the the 12 super league clubs maybe um but yeah um I mean again formatting I've heard complaints from championship clubs where obviously they play midweek games away from home at a Super League club. They get home about, you know, after midnight, they're up for work at five o'clock and, you know, it's, it's a bit of a grueling. Yeah, it's, it's harsh, isn't it? Not fantastic, obviously. There's some excellent footballers at that level, but, you know, they've still got jobs. Um, but, um, yeah, it'd be good. It'd be good. You know, obviously, we, I don't think we're going to get a Barclays deal on it, but if we get a really positive sponsorship deal and something which can move the competition forward more television coverage um you know maybe more saturday sunday games maybe you know maybe have it almost as your season opener and you know start the season a little bit earlier or i know we've got free weekends or maybe even play super league games one or two in midweek to allow for the cup to then take priority on a on a weekend um so yeah lots to think about um and yeah ultimately it does need to improve it's totally, um, it's totally it's a Marmite competition at the minute, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Conny Cup. Ronnie asks, what do you believe is the best way for fans to engage with the Conny Cup? Obviously, ourselves, we've tried to cover it as much as possible this year. So I think, you know, at Everton not being called off last night, I think we would have been covering three games. Um, first round, I think we covered four games. So in terms of our publication of it and, you know, putting it in the spotlight, we're probably leading the way about about that I think on on the cup. Um, I, I read this morning. I think Sky Sports kind of did a did a summary of the overall games. Um, yeah. You know, again, BBC have done a little bit. There's a lot of independent journalists, you know, trying to cover the the competition as much as they can. But yeah, there needs to be a bit more of a drive. I think on live games. I don't know whether clubs have some control over that on streaming some games, um, stuff like ticket offers and stuff like that as well. And you know, maybe schools and group you know those kind of you know wildcat center offers and stuff like that to get people through the gates to watch it as well in the early stages obviously once we're back in grounds um yeah again i think putting in the spotlight there's so much work to be done with it and you know once that work's done there's nothing there's nothing wrong with saying that we have a a fantastic product at the end of it um but at the minute yeah it, it feels like a real you know, you're really pulling teeth, I suppose, when you're trying to, you know, put it into the spotlight because it's 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 such a difficult thing to do. Alan, Alan made me laugh when he sent this through. I thought that we're going to be talking about this for about an hour. Yeah, and <laughs> what are your opinions on that? <laughs> and do you think the women's game will benefit from it? Yeah, I, I won't spend too long on this one, but <laughs> obviously we know from... A refereeing point of view, the officials are under the spotlight again this year. And I think, I mean, VAR, I'm not a fan of anyway, but, you know, I wouldn't be complicating matters any further this season without a doubt. 
um, unless you were pulling Premier League officials away from their games to maybe assist with it in you know, with the implementation of it, I just don't see it happening. I think it was a nightmare in the World Cup last year when they trialled it on the women's game. Um, even goal line technology, I mean, what happened at Villa after lockdown? Did somebody forget to switch the button on? And, you know, ball went over the line, it didn't even bleep. So I, I, still, I still like a linesman with a flag and a referee with a whistle, I'm afraid. But I, I don't see... I don't see how it's going to come in the women's game unless it becomes, you know, where, where we're playing in big stadiums and, you know, 10 years down the line, I just don't see a future for it. Um, and yeah, from a referee point of view, I wouldn't like to, with the best will in the world and the respect to the, the officials, I just can't, I just couldn't see us putting that tool within their capabilities at the minute. Cause I think it's just, you know, when we're trying to get professional officials and, Officials who are sharper at making decisions, it's not really going to help matters, I don't think. No, I think as well, before we even go down the VAR route, we have to look at uh, goal line technology because we've we've had a couple of decisions. Like last season, there was obviously the United City. Did it go over the line? You know, we've, we've had seen a couple of decisions that, that could have been this season already, you know, and, and I think just the basics officiating the standard just needs to be raised i think a lot of fans are calling out for that and and managers as well really at the moment it's not been brilliant yeah i suppose you know i, I mean i i don't know what goes on in terms of the refereeing side of it but you know I'd, I'd like to see in some point that you know even if we've got a small pool of full-time officials that you know they, they sit in the same courses as the premier league and football league officials, the training with those of them who were professional, um, you know, and the whole thing is, you know, effectively comes under the Premier League or the Football League umbrella, I suppose, in terms of getting those officials fit and match sharp um, in terms of the decision making. Um, I think if we get to that point, we may be beginning to make some good progress. Obviously, at, at the minute, it's it's difficult. There's one or two good officials. You know, that's probably as far as it goes. There's a lot of work. But I know from a refereeing point of view, I wouldn't want to do the job. So I'm not going to I'm not going to criticise it all that. A, I had a bit of a thought the other day that I fancy having a little bit of a dabble at refereeing. I don't want the grief. I don't want yeah, the grief. No. Peter on Twitter, last one, I promise. On the back of a very encouraging Ewan figures for the final, I think it was 1.6 or 1.7 million. Yeah. yeah. Does Dan believe that the FAWSL can now attract more blue chip sponsors? And if so, uh, will this lead to greater investment in grassroots to build up on the enormous efforts of our army of volunteers? I think the, the Super League is a, pro, is a product, regardless of the viewing figures at the weekend. I think there's an opportunity to invest. I think um, obviously you saw Barclays, you saw all the, the multinational players who've come over Um I still think I think I was looking the other day and we're still a little bit behind France and possibly Germany in that aspect. But you know, there's a lot of um obviously we've seen the Americans come over, the Australians. Um, you know, there's there's interest from overseas. So I think the sponsorship will come and the investment will come without a doubt. Obviously, the viewing figures again is is another tick in that box. I suppose the in terms of the you know filtering the the funds down to those who need it, I suppose that's a you know, an FA project, really. Um, you'd hope that 
you know, I suppose grassroots is very important in developing our own players and obviously supplying academies as well. Um, so you'd hope that, you know, that's almost like planting the seed, um, you know, putting the investment right at the bottom of the chain to, you know, to provide us going upwards, really. Um, so, yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd hope so. I think there's inve- I think there's investment coming regardless. Yeah. Um, and, you know, without a doubt, I mean, there's talk about Premier League and, you know, whether the FA, FAWSL will fall under their umbrella at some point. I don't know whether they will or won't. I think last I saw, I don't think it's anywhere anytime soon. But, um, you know, again, I suppose it's, you know, the, the most of the 12 sides now in the top flight are all affiliated to, or, you know, a branch of a, a Premier League club or a, a very good championship club. So, you know, I think, you know, when, when you work in, you know, it's businesses, we're not talking about football clubs anymore. And obviously businesses will attract um, investment without a doubt. But yeah, it, it's it's the same as what we're getting with COVID about money filtering down the, the football league and international league and into grassroots. It's, I suppose at the end of this COVID period, you'd hope that, you know, we have a proper look and see how the bottom is supported by the top. But at the same time, in kind of two minds, I'm kind of thinking, well, you know, everybody's their own business in their own right. So, you know, from a city perspective, yeah, it'd be great to support you know, all, all your local communities and, you know, your grassroots and everything else. But at the end of the day, City's also a business. And, you know, I'd, I'd imagine at this period that City's probably losing money through COVID. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm open-minded on it. But, yeah, I feel like we've got to have lots of support for the bottom to obviously make sure that we're, we're making our own talent and we're, we're not relying on all these overseas players. Yeah, no, it is really important. I I would like to hope that that's what will happen. And, you know, there is a, a plan put in, in place to hopefully keep these clubs, you know, sustainable for, the, for their future. And obviously players do come up through grassroots. They don't always start at top clubs, you know. It, it, the bottom is just as important as the top in sustaining football. Yeah, absolutely. Dan, tell us about the latest episode of FAWSL Full-Time Magazine. We've got one coming out hopefully next week, online and um, hard copy. Um, Obviously, just keep an eye on our Twitter because we'll send out details about that um, early next week. We'll put a bit of a theme in there about Women's Football Weekend because obviously that's coming up next weekend. Yeah. Um, and from our point of view, we're just trying to, to carry on as normal through lockdown. Obviously, as a business, we've got a function as, as we have been doing. So hopefully we'll continue to to provide coverage from games to interview, obviously, the you know, all the players in the Super League, and the championship um, and hold regular press conferences where we can. Um, and yeah, it's pretty much just continue right up to Christmas now, hopefully. Um, but yeah, it's coming out next week. Um, we'll hopefully have some news on bundles and stuff like that for Christmas. And, you know, again, if we've got back issues available and, you know, if anybody's short, if you just drop us an email at fawslfulltime at gmail.com and we'll sort you out. Smashing. Um, so what are your socials just so people can get in touch? Yeah, nice and easy. It's just at fawslft. Um, and then we're on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. Brilliant, Dan. It's always a pleasure to talk to you. 
I hope, I hope the questions weren't too painful. I was reading them going, oh my God, <laughs> really tough. I thought it'd be dead easy. Uh, but thank you to everyone that got involved. And again, thanks to Dan for joining me on this week's podcast. Always great to catch up and hopefully we'll speak again soon. Yeah, thanks very much, Sarah. Thanks a lot. Thanks. Bye. Cheers. Bye. And that's it for this week's episode. Hope you've enjoyed it. Cheers to Dan for joining us. Don't forget you can watch Saturday's game live against Bristol on City+. Plus. Kickoff is 3pm. If you're not already, make sure you're following us across our social medias. You can find us at MCWFanCast. And we'll be back next Friday with our double derby preview. Stay safe, everyone.